Welcome everyone, you are listening to Do We Like Murder, a segment of the Long Overdue Podcast, production of the Decatur Public Library. I'm Chris, and I have Denise. Hi. And Dawn. Hello. And they're going to talk about murder. That's what they usually do when we yeah. do this. What else? Yeah. I see that you talk about murder with us too, Chris. I do. Don't be all like I vague. I'm really, about I'm really, I'm really bad at this. I am about. I'm really bad at reading books, but I'm always but bad you, at reading. But you talked to us about murder. We didn't say anything about you reading about murder. Well, I tried to, but you know, <laughs> I'm not very good at it. I always do other things instead. <laughs> but you still sit here and talk to us about murder. I do because it's fascinating. <laughs> it is. And I sometimes see, hilarious. Yes. <laughs> Inadvertently, it's hilarious. Yes. Like bungling police officers or just dumb criminals. <laughs> or like, what? It's stranger than fiction sometimes. Yes, it is. Yes. You can't, you can't come up with this stuff. Yep. Denise has used, uh, yet again, a ream of post-it notes to mark up her book. <laughs> Yeah, and I went through it and actually like wrote some notes, and so I took some post-it notes out. So this isn't all of them. There's still a lot in there. I know. <laughs> Where do we want to start today? Well. Where's your book going? <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I'm bookless today. <laughs> I have taken a new strategy. <laughs> So my case is based on um, something that I was told about, and one of the characters mm-hmm. is from my hometown. Oh, so you're going to do like some, I guess not local, because it's not local to us, uh-uh. but local to you. It's local to me, mm-hmm. yeah, kind of, yeah. Um, it would Hometown be- murder, there we go. There hometown. you go. <laughs> Home, hometown murder. <laughs> oh. um, but actually, it kind of ties in a little bit with yours. Oh. Somewhat, yeah. I guess. So, I don't know. Do we want to start with me or you? I think I started last time. So Okay. Well, I can start. Okay. <clears throat> so, I read The Death of an Heir, Adolf Coors III, and the Murder That Rocked an American Brewing Dynasty, written by Philip Jett. Um, and so this was set in the late fifties and on to like the early sixties. Um, the kidnapping actually happened in February of 1960, Okay, but his planning and all that happened of course before. Mm-hmm. Um, so Adolf Coors the third was Basically in charge of the Coors Brewing Company. Okay. Coors actually did a lot of stuff, which was kind of weird. Like, they had, like, porcelain factories and... Really? Yeah. It's weird. More than just beer, huh? Yeah. But that's mainly what they're known for is Mm -hmm. the... I'm just hung up on his name. Oh, yeah. It just seems weird. Yes. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Like, the first Adolf Coors wasn't a big wasn't a thing like no one associated adolf the uh-huh. way we associate adolf now yes <laughs> but 
it's like after the by Adolf Coors the third is just like um <laughs> right and then he named his firstborn son Adolf Coors the fourth and so this was, wow. you know, like in the 50s when he was born. So uh-huh. by then it was like, why did you do that? Right. He went by Spike because <laughs> no one wants to be named Adolf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is interesting. So where were they from? Because is that a German name or a European oh, name? I don't know, or if, they, do you know if they went into any of that, into their... Um, from the sound of it, it looks like they had been in Colorado for several generations. I don't know where their family okay. actually came from. Okay. Before that. I was just curious with that name. It's not a typical American name, mm-hmm. I don't think. So. Yeah. And this this guy went by Ad. Like, he didn't go by Adolf. Hmm. Okay. Because, again, no one wants to be associated. Right. Mm-hmm. That, in mm-hmm. that fashion. <laughs> uh, the Coors family, the Adolf Coors II who was pretty much retiring at that point and left the company to his son, mm-hmm. which was, this was his firstborn son. He had two other sons and they all worked in the company and did stuff for the company. And one was in charge of porcelain. The other one was in charge of staffing and he was in charge of mainly the, the whole brewery in general. Okay. Um, <laughs> he was actually allergic to beer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. Yes. So he didn't actually like drink any of of his family's beer. <laughs> so just allergic to beer? Like was he allergic to? It just says he was allergic to beer. The wheat, no, or gluten, or barley, or whatever the, the gluten or, or the yeast. Then, yeah, I don't know. He's allergic to beer. That's that's mm. funny. It's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it was. Hmm. Um, but yeah, they would always just hand the company down to the firstborn son. So if you were a girl, well, oh, well, too bad for you. Go get married. Wow. Yeah. And so okay. he, because he was the firstborn and they named their firstborn sons continue, like continuingly down the line. So he was the third and his son was the fourth and so wow. on. And his son was expected to get married, pop out a son, and name him Adolf Coors V. <laughs> wow. <laughs> huh. But because this happened, and he was kidnapped and murdered, uh-huh. his son, actually his entire family was cut out of all of it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, the Coors family <laughs> were uh, a bunch of not nice people and so okay so adolf coors which number this the second the second was the one who was kidnapped no the third was the one that was kidnapped the second was his dad so he ended up having to come back to the company after his son the third was kidnapped and he just cut him out of the family oh yeah like after it was after it was discovered that he was dead Uh uh-huh well, Adolf Coors the fourth was fourteen, going on fifteen, so uh-huh. he couldn't run the company, right? And so they were just like, "Whip, that family doesn't exist to us anymore. X them out." What the heck? Wow. Okay, yeah. so what did they do? Well, fortunately, 
<laughs> Mary Adolf Coors the Third, his wife uh-huh. came from a prominent rich family. Mm-hmm. So she was already independently wealthy before they ever even got together. Uh-huh. Okay. So her family didn't cut her out. Right. Basically is how that went. But did they have other children that they left the business to then? Well, he had two other sons. And so when Adolf Coors III uh-huh. was kidnapped and murdered, I think it was Bill, the next one, took over the company. To completely just cut them out, though, mm-hmm. it's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Throughout this entire book, uh-huh. Mary kept talking about, or Mary, they, he mentioned that Mary would always say that the family was cold because they didn't, they didn't stop working. Oh, ad's missing. Well, you do these responsibilities of his, and I'll do these responsibilities of his. Wow. They Like, that same day. Like, oh, he hasn't shown up to work. Well, let's go talk to the police. All right, well, we're done with that. Let's go back to work. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just like, uh. And she, she kept talking about how cold they were. Uh-huh. And this guy really kind of irritated me a little bit, the author, Philip Jett. Because he kept talking about how, you know, they weren't cold. They were, that was just the Coors way. And I'm like, no, they're unfeeling and cold. Yeah. <laughs> That's who they are. Yeah. <laughs> sounds like, like it. You know, like for them to just be like, oh, we don't need to take time off or anything. Like, let, not even the afternoon. Like, we went and talked to the police. That was it. Let's go back to work. Hmm. We had mm-hmm. a meeting to get to. We should do that. Mm-hmm. It was just like, uh. <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay. So, yeah, it wasn't that big of a surprise that they basically just cut him out. So what was his personality? Was he somebody, the guy who was kidnapped? So what the happened? Third? Let's yes. just call him the third. The third. Okay. <laughs> the third, he, from all accounts, was a super nice guy. Okay. Him and his wife were very much in love. Like uh-huh. It didn't seem like they had any kind of marital problems. Um, he was a family man. He had actually recently moved his family from Denver to Golden, Colorado, to a nice little ranch because he had someday hoped to just be like, okay, well, I don't really want to do this anymore, and I just want to live on my ranch and mm-hmm. do ranch things. Yeah. Um, and so they had actually just moved to that ranch. But by, by all accounts, it seemed like he was a good guy, family man just family oriented mm-hmm. and he did what he had to do at the company because it was what he was supposed to okay like, he obviously wasn't like you know oh the brewery's my life yeah but it was what he was supposed to do so he he did that mm-hmm. and it was a good living like yeah. he got paychecks like that was the other thing like they got paychecks it wasn't just like oh well this is family money Mm-hmm. And Mr. Coors the second basically wanted them to appear like everyday folk. Okay. You know, not to be like, oh, well, we've got all this money and let's flaunt it. But his reasoning wasn't because that's who we are. Like, mm-hmm. just because we have money doesn't mean we're above anybody. Mm-hmm. It wasn't for that reason. It was because he was worried that someone was going to kidnap them. If they were flaunting around their money. Really? Yeah. That's very interesting. And I'm like, but your last name is Coors. 
<laughs> like, right. I don't think they, if they run around driving flashy cars or whatever, is going to get people to be like, we should kidnap that guy. <laughs> Much like what happened here. Like, mm-hmm. he was kidnapped because of his last name. He was a very, from what it sounded like, he was a very humble guy. Mm-hmm. You know, and very friendly. Like, he had ranch hands and all that that he was very friendly with. And, like, he never really treated anybody like he was above them. Yeah. Two days after he was missing, the family, being his brothers, mm-hmm. went to the lawyer to see about his will. He wasn't discovered dead yet. This was two days missing. Mm. Wow. They went to go to find out what his will said um, because they didn't want to be embarrassed by anything suddenly surprising them like that he had a a mistress that he was keeping somewhere or he had a secret family or whatever. And it's just like, he wasn't you. Right. <laughs> like he didn't have any of that. Like his lawyer was like, uh, no, <laughs> I was like, they had a very strong marriage. He wasn't hiding anything uh-huh. from Mary. I was like wow. two days missing. And you're thinking, how is this going to affect me? Yeah. How's this going to look for us? Right. And, yeah, I was like, wow. So they're not involved in any way? Not anymore. Like the the thirds? Oh, involved in the kidnapping? Yeah. No. Oh, okay. No. No, no. They're acting like it. They're acting very suspicious, yes. yes. But they're just very uh, self-centered. Okay. And it seemed like that was... It seemed like that was the core's way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it seems kind of odd that the dad would worry about them getting kidnapped, and that's actually what happened. Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. The father, he, let's see, he went on to say, like, whenever he was talking with the police, that um, this was just any other business transaction. Like, get the money, put it together how they want it, and then he's just treating it like a business transaction. Like, he had no emotion about his son being missing. And it's like, okay, dude. So let's talk a little bit about Joseph Corbett Jr. He was the one that actually did the kidnapping. Yeah, I want to know more about this guy. (laughs) This guy was a Fulbright Scholar enrolled at Berkeley um, until he shot... A hitchhiker in the back of the head two times. Wow. Once behind each ear in what he was des- what it was described as a botched robbery four days before Christmas in nineteen fifty. Yeah. He murdered Alan Lee Reed, a twenty year old sergeant stationed at Hamilton Air Force Base. He claimed it was self defense self defense, but it really sounded like there was something else going on that was just never explained. Mm-hmm. He The way he was caught was that his father, Corbett's father, called the cops to do a wellness check on him because he was worried about him. Mm-hmm. And so the police go to, to do the wellness check and they find, um, they talk to the landlady who tells him, tells them that he had a car that looked very much like the one that was found a few miles away from the murder scene. And she even had the license plate number. And so she gave that to them. And so he was arrested for murder. He was convicted of second degree murder. 
Mainly because the police couldn't piece the whole thing together and he was claiming self-defense and they couldn't really refute it one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Again, because at first he was like, you know, it was a hitchhiker that tried to rob me or whatever, but it sounded like something else was going on. Mm-hmm. He was sentenced to five years for shooting a man in the back of the head. It was later determined that five years wasn't the right minimum sentence under the law, so then it was changed to 10 years. Okay, so let me just say, is that like going to the store and there's a price on there and they're supposed to charge you the lowest price? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can yes. you change that? <laughs> well, I think the jury was like five years and then it was like, yeah, that's not really the minimum sentence for second degree murder. It's 10 years. So, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, thanks, okay. thanks jury. <laughs> He was sentenced to maximum security at San Quentin, where he made friends with the warden. He convinced the warden to transfer him to minimum security, which he then escaped. Oh, my word. He escaped in 1955, and he had been a fugitive for five years before kidnapping and murder. Wow. Yep. So they, not only did he escape, they couldn't find him for five years. For five years. So here's the other fun thing about names. So Mm -hmm. Joseph Corbett Jr., Mm -hmm. he was named after his father, but Mm -hmm. he was not the first Joseph Corbett Jr. (laughs) What? He had a half-brother who died at the age of six before he was born. And his parents named him after his dead brother. That's sad. That's morbid. (laughs) Could people just not come up with names back then? It's like, we're just going to name all our sons and grandsons, and they're just going to be, they'll just reuse the same name. We'll just reuse the same name. But this was like, they didn't even go with the third. Yeah. Like, it wasn't even like Joseph Corbett the third, because your brother died at the age of six it was like no 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 we're just gonna give you the exact same name as your dead brother Mm -hmm. (sighs) i was like okay all righty then so you start out with identity issues (laughs) (laughs) all kinds this guy had all kinds of issues so like i said he was a fulbright scholar enrolled at berkeley one year before graduation um his mother passed away and then that's kind of where he lost track and ended up murdering someone. Okay. Uh, June 7th of 1949, Marion Corbett, Joseph's mother, plunged from a kitchen balcony onto an iron well gate. Mm. Corbett found his mother on the well cover in the yard. She died five days later in the hospital. So after he was arrested for the Coors murder and they were talking to him... For whatever reason, he says that he didn't kill his mother. No one asked him about that. Like, they Mm -hmm. weren't talking about that. He just made the statement that he didn't kill his mother. Just volunteered that information. (laughs) Seems a little suspicious. Yeah, and I'm like, so now I think you killed your mother. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, uh, okay. (laughs) He was very smart. Joseph Corbett actually had tested his iq and he was at 148 wow so the average iq is 90 to 110 uh-huh. above average is 115 to 124 
Gifted is 125 to 134, and Genius starts at 140 to 145. Wow. So he actually tested an IQ as above Genius. Wow. wow. Um, so yes, he was very smart, but he made a lot of mistakes in this case. Uh-huh. And it seemed very odd because he spent several months planning it. Mm-hmm. Several, several months. And it just seemed like he either threw the plan out the window or something. Well, let me just say, you can't think of everything. <laughs> <laughs> Something's going to happen to mess That's up true. your plan. So anyway, February 1960. Ad is going to go to work. He gets up. Pretty early. He's a morning person. Gets up pretty early. And does his exercise workout. Takes a shower. Gets ready to go to work. Mm-hmm. At that point, Mary's up and you know getting the kids ready for school. And the kids go to school. He you know gets some coffee. Kisses Mary goodbye. Says you know they have their normal husband wife talk. You know like what do you want for dinner? What time do you think you'll be home? Mm-hmm. And so like okay you know and off he goes. Gets into his car and he's driving down the road. Comes across the bridge that he has to cross to get towards the brewery. And there's a car. Like, just kind of in the way. Well, he can't really get around this car. Okay. So it's in the way. Hood up. It looks like someone broke down. Mm -hmm. Well, Ad's a really nice guy. Mm -hmm. So he rolls down his window and he's like, hey, you know, can I help you with something? Like, you having car trouble? Do you need help? So he gets out of his car. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, he goes over there to help this guy. At the very least, he's thinking, you know, I don't really know anything about cars, so I'll help him push it out of the way and give him a ride into town. Okay. Um, So he's going over there to help him, and it's Joseph Corbett. He pulls out a gun, and it, it seems like Ad fought him. Okay. And so he ends up shot twice in the back. Hmm. Okay. And the shoulder. Mm-hmm. And one of the bullets, from what they can determine, pierced one of his lungs, and he died. Um, which, again, was, you know, yeah, not a part of the plan, but he didn't hit him over the head or anything like that. Like, he just shot him. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. I was like, you're trying to kidnap this person. Like, you probably don't want to kill him. Uh-huh. But he didn't. Too late. Yeah, it didn't seem like he thought about that like it was just like oh i'm gonna shoot him huh yeah okay (laughs) he had spent the night before typing up his ransom note Mm -hmm. well he killed this guy he goes and he dumps his body somewhere he still mails the letter (laughs) so mary gets the letter Uh thinking that you know he's still alive he's still alive they're gonna get this money together give it to him and she's gonna get her husband back Mm -hmm. well he made no attempt to contact them yeah, and I'm like, so why'd you even send the letter? Yeah. Like, he could just be missing. <laughs> right? <laughs> but no. No, he was like, well, I'm going to send this letter. Like, he made no attempt to get the money. It wasn't like, well, they don't know he's dead, so I'm going to get the money, get out of here, and then uh-huh. they're just never going to know what happened to him. No, he dumps the body, mails the letter, gets spooked, packs up his stuff, and gets out of town. <laughs> and it's just like what <laughs> yeah. like what are you doing i was like 148 iq really <laughs> yes so it sounds like he kind of freaked out spooked himself or something yeah and something and he was just like well i'm just leaving wow 
Okay. So they spend several days waiting for the phone call that never comes. They get a bunch of phone calls from other people mm-hmm. that are just awful people calling, claiming to be the kidnappers trying to get the money. But they don't know how much money he asked for or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so it's easily determined that they're not for real. What do you do about that? I mean, I, I'm curious what they do for people who call in and fake that they've killed somebody to try to get the money. I don't know. I think at this day and age, that's easily traceable. Uh-huh. Well, at that time, it, was it wasn't not, yeah. really. Good point. I think now uh-huh. you're going to get a knock on their door. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> you said you were so-and-so. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so he takes off. He ends up in Canada. Okay. Wow. Yeah, he he makes it pretty far, and he's, um, it wasn't really, they found Ad's body seven months after his disappearance at the Shambhala Ashrama dump. Shambhala Ashrama is a religious community developed in the 1940s as a place to get away from nuclear warfare and for religious study. So he dumped his body at their dump site. Yes. Is this, is this one of the, was it like one of those new age type things like uh-huh. pop pop religion or something uh-huh. like that? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> to escape from nuclear warfare. Uh huh. Yeah. I wonder how well that would have done if there actually be. was nuclear. <laughs> <laughs> they were in the mountains in Colorado. Okay. <laughs> it's a fair fair chance, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> So the thing about Colorado in the 60s was that in order for someone to get the death penalty in Colorado at this time period, there either had to be an eyewitness to the crime or the killer had to confess. Really? And I'm like, who in their right mind would confess knowing that they're going to get the gas chamber? Right. Like, that seems counterproductive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because typically we're like, we'll take the death penalty off the table if you tell me what happened. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. like, but here you're like, please tell me what happened so then I can gas you to death. <laughs> I was like, uh, <laughs> all right, and Colorado. Who, who does it in front of other people? I mean, <laughs> most of the time it's in secret. Yeah. So, yes, they did have a couple of people that came forward saying that they had, they they were eyewitnesses to the crime, but it turns out that they were just crazy people. Like, yeah. they were just crazy people. Yes. <laughs> like, one woman came up and was like, that she saw it happen, and she was driving her husband somewhere, and they had to cross that bridge, and she saw them fighting, and she saw the shooting, and it's just like, um, you don't drive. Um, <gasps> this other person is saying that they took your husband wherever it is that he was going mm-hmm. and then she claimed that she was a close and personal friend of the Coors family and it's like okay <laughs> that was fun but Corbett did have a father and son who owned a gas station wanted to testify on Corbett's behalf they claimed that at the time of the murder he was at their shop getting work done on his car uh-huh Corbett said, that's just not true. Someone may have been at that gas station, but it wasn't me. 
And I'm like, dude, they had I, like they really had almost no evidence against this guy. Yeah, they they had they found a hat that was the same size hat that he wore. Uh huh. But every witness that they asked about that hat was like, no, he had a darker brown hat, not a tan hat. Mm-hmm. Or no, his hat had like a different color strap around it or whatever. And it's just like, all you have is a hat that fits him. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that hat could fit a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. So before the kidnapping, Mary, the kids, the third, mm-hmm. he, they all saw tons of different cars, like different makes, models, years of cars that would just sort of be around their property, just mm-hmm. sitting there. And like someone was either in the car or whatever. Uh-huh. And he thought that it was poachers. Like okay. the there there was no hunting in that area, and a lot of times people wanted to come and hunt deer. Even during deer season, there was a no hunting okay. zone, and so he thought they were poachers. But it was like different cars, different makes, different models. Sometimes it'd be one guy sitting in the car. Sometimes it'd be two guys sitting in the car, and all they ever found with Joseph Corbett was one yellow car that mm-hmm. he torched. So it was like, who was this other guy that was out there? Mm-hmm. Hmm. And they went through several different vehicles. Hmm. So the only actual evidence that they had was a fingerprint on Ad's car mm-hmm. that did not belong to Joseph Corbett. Didn't belong to any of the family members. Didn't belong to any friends that may have touched the car. Didn't belong to any of his ranch hands, any of his employees. Wow. So... Whose fingerprint was it? Yeah. Hmm. Was Joseph Corbett by himself? Hmm. Are we going to find out? No. (laughs) (laughs) We'll never know. Yes, that was one of the great mysteries of this whole thing was they had pretty much no evidence against the guy. They couldn't find the typewriter that he used to type up his letter so they couldn't match it to that Mm -hmm. they couldn't find any of the paper that he used so they couldn't match it to that they found a hat that fit him and in his apartment complex they found a paint bucket with his fingerprints on it that had some like chains in it okay that was pretty much it they found uh, boxes in the trash Again, they couldn't really connect it to him, but, I mean, who else could it have been Mm -hmm. for four sets of handcuffs? And so they were like, okay, well, he got the handcuffs when he kidnapped him. Uh He could handcuff him. And the chains was to chain him up. Uh But it's just like, you don't really have any evidence. Yeah. So it could have been someone else. Mm-hmm. But I don't think so. Just from the way Joseph Corbett talked and so on, it doesn't seem likely. It seems more likely that he wasn't giving up his accomplice. Okay. Like, he just wasn't going to. Yeah. So, but they really had no no case here. Mm-hmm. But because the Coors family is super rich and everybody in this little town knows who they are, mm-hmm. like, he really didn't have much of a shot. Yeah. The judge denied every motion that they made, even the motion where they wanted to find a different venue. Uh-huh. Because they were like, there's no way he's going to get a, 
a fair trial here. The right. judge denied it. Mm-hmm. The jury the jury was filled with people that either knew Ad some form or another or went to high school with a prosecutor or <laughs> it's just like he, he's not going to get a fair trial here y'all. <laughs> like mm-hmm. he's just not. But it seemed like he actually got pretty close to being acquitted when all the evidence was presented and the jury went in to deliberate. Mm-hmm. There was the foreman immediately took ballots and had them all put in how they were going to vote. Mm-hmm. The vote was four guilty, three not guilty, and five undecided. Wow. So he had a shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they deliberated for like three days and eventually came back with a murder with a guilty guilty verdict um but it took several days of them talking and trying to convince the others and so on Mm -hmm. so that was that was pretty surprising to me yeah i was like wow like he had a shot so how did they catch him if he wasn't went to canada he was super careless Uh so he hightailed it out of colorado ended up in canada and he started writing hot checks (laughs) <laughs> he didn't change the alias that he was using in Colorado. Uh-huh. In Colorado, he was uh, William Osborne. Okay. He didn't change his alias. So he it didn't change his appearance mm-hmm. at all. So it wasn't really all that hard to find him once he started breaking some laws. Yeah. <laughs> he just left the trail. Yeah. <clears throat> Which I'm also like 148 IQ. And really? It's like, dude, you don't even change your <laughs> alias. Yeah. <laughs> the FBI is looking for you, you know, and uh-huh. he's just like, whatever. Well, I wonder, like, the time being in the early, you know, 60s or whatever, if maybe he just felt like they would just never catch him. I don't know. I mean, you know, that. Well, he had been on the lam for five years. that's true Mm -hmm. he went through several aliases and Mm -hmm. so he was pretty good at covering his tracks yeah up until now when he committed a murder that he knew he was going to spend life in prison unless he confessed (laughs) because he knew that whenever they arrested him he pretty much told the fbi that you know the only way that they could execute him was if there was an eyewitness or if he confessed and he wasn't confessing Uh uh-huh Wow. So, like, he knew. Yeah. So he'd studied that part of it. He knew it. Oh, yeah. He, what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. And he had studied a little bit on the FBI and all that. It was just. I wonder if he, um, I mean, like, wanted to get caught. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. what it, that's, that's kind of what it thinking. seems like. Yeah. yeah. That he kind of wanted to get caught. But then, I mean, why, why still cover for the other person if there was somebody else involved with it? I think that's more of a, I don't know, more of a personality Uh type thing. As long as he didn't confess, he wasn't going to get the death penalty. Mm -hmm. He knew there wasn't any witnesses. Fascinating. And maybe if they had made a penalty case, like a death uh penalty case against him, he might have given up his accomplice. Yeah. But... He knew mm-hmm. he was going to go back to prison, and he mm-hmm. was fine with living there yeah. for the rest of his life. Well, oh, yeah, we'll get to that. Okay, we'll get to the 
the rest of his life. <laughs> Does it elaborate any more on the way his family behaved during the like the trial and stuff like that? His family. No one went to the trial. Whose family? The Coors. The Thirds okay. family. Yeah. Mary at some point did have to go and testify. Um, again, being rich is nice. She had her lawyer talk to the prosecutor so she could basically find out what questions they were going to ask her before she took the stand. Wow. And she was going and she was going to decide whether or not she was going to answer those questions. Wow. <laughs> And I'm like, all right then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. And okay. so they set up a little meeting with her and her lawyer. And they're like, these are the questions we're going to ask you. And she's like, why do people need to know that? Mm-hmm. I'm not answering that. And it's just like, uh. <laughs> right. It's like, excuse me? Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, but, you know, she came from a rich family before she married into the Coors family. Yeah. So... Double privileged, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, wow. Wow. <laughs> well, and then being from a small town, too, mm-hmm. could have been part of that also. Yeah. Anyway. Hmm. But yes, I was just like, I can't imagine that they would have done that for any gr- other grieving widow. Right. Exactly. But she did eventually decide that she was going to answer their questions and so on. So she testified. Okay. Now I'm just like... Was was this an actual choice that you weren't going to testify? Like yeah. You were like, oh, I'm not testifying. <laughs> and why wouldn't you? Exactly. In your husband's murder yeah. case and kidnapping case. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. So I was just like, okay. That's kind of weird. Yeah. But her whole thing was that she felt like, er- like they were just making a spectacle out of her. Like the people that were there wanted to see her, oh. wanted to see her cry, wanted to see her you know, break down, mm-hmm. and she wasn't going to give them that. Okay. And so I'm like, well, okay, I can kind of see that. Yeah. But it seemed like the whole town was really behind you. Yeah. Like, it didn't really seem like anybody in the town was like, oh, man, that Mary Coors, I can't wait to see her cry on the stand. Mm-hmm. Like, it seemed like everybody was like, poor Mary, and oh, my gosh, this is so hard on her. Yeah. And so I'm just like, where is this coming from? Yeah. So... At that point, though, she was she had already become a very heavy drinker. But I was just like, that's that's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's just all kind of odd. But yeah, the family wasn't really, like, involved. They weren't going to leave work to go attend the trial. They didn't even right. stop working whenever he was kidnapped. Yeah. True. <laughs> yeah, of course, after all the other stuff we found out about them, I would be Yeah, they're to not going to be like, well, let's, you know. Take care about that. Yeah. Like, oh, well, you know. They'll do what they got to do. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess some people are just, you know more practical about it it's like what can we do we can't do anything so we might as well just go about our our daily business mm-hmm. i guess which is odd in a lot of you but know but for a family it, that's so concerned about their public appearance yes it's like not even to be like we're taking some time to grieve on our own mm-hmm. it's like nope this is just another business day yeah i was like that's weird yeah it's like, oh, we're going to take a couple of hours to go to our dead brother's murder trial, mm-hmm. you know, for solidarity or something. Yeah, they just don't <laughs> sound concerned about it. No, That's what's so... it's just like, eh, yeah, whatever. He's dead. Nothing we can do about it. Let's move on. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it was, it was nuts. <laughs> 
so Joseph Corbett didn't really seem all that concerned about his murder trial. Like it seemed like he was ready for it to happen and wasn't concerned because he wasn't going to be up against any kind of death penalty charge. Mm-hmm. So he just did whatever. So he just accepted it and was good. Mm-hmm. Yep. And did again, he- like turned away eyewitnesses that were claiming that he couldn't have come into that murder. He was at their gas station. Yeah. And he's all like, no, that wasn't me. <laughs> I was like, okay, dude. Maybe he has an evil twin. Maybe it was his brother <laughs> come back to life. <laughs> <laughs> the original Joseph right. Corbett the <laughs> Jr. <laughs> uh, that part, when I read that, I was like, what? Yeah. What? <laughs> like, they just named you after your dead brother? It's like, all right. Weird. Very weird. So weird. There was a psychic in this book. Because there's always a psychic in these books. Mm -hmm. So a very famous psychic shows up in town to help out with the case, but loses interest and moves on. (laughs) Uh, Bill, the, I believe, the second to oldest brother, contacted another well-known psychic, a psychometrist, which is someone who receives mental pictures of someone by handling an object that belonged to them, named Florence Sternfels. Who told him a bunch of stuff that was widely reported. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Uh-huh. But she also claimed that he would be found at the end of the summer. And was he? He was found, yeah, like August, October. Okay. So, but you know, lucky guess or whatever. That was a wide range. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like at the end of the summer, you're going to find him. So he was, Corbett was found guilty and he was sentenced to life in prison some point, Colorado changed the state law to require a parole hearing after 10 years for serving a life sentence. In 1978, he got paroled. But the Coors family threw a fit, and the public was outraged. So it was rescinded. In 1979, he got paroled again. And this time, they didn't care about public outrage. But Joseph Corbett violated a whole one day after being released. Holy cow. (laughs) Yep. He had gone back to Denver to close out his bank account that was still open. After 10 years. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. And the Coors family lost it. They thought that he was coming after them and that he was going to get revenge. And it's just like, uh. (laughs) So he violated and went back. But in 1980, he was paroled once more. And this time he did not violate. He lived until 2009. He found out that he had terminal cancer. Mm-hmm. And so he committed suicide by shooting himself in the head. Aww. He was 82 years old. Wow. Mm-hmm. He never took responsibility, never said that he did it to anybody, mm-hmm. never confessed to anybody. Um, he at some point said something along the lines that it was something that happened in his past that he's put it behind him. Mm-hmm. Um, people kept trying to interview him and so forth after he'd been paroled. And he was just like, it's not like I won the Nobel Peace Prize. People leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> what are y'all doing? So Sheriff Wormuth was the sheriff of Golden, Colorado. Mm-hmm. And when Corbett 
committed the kidnapping. The sheriff's department was um, handling the case mm-hmm. for the third being missing. They then contacted the FBI, and the FBI didn't really have any jurisdiction, mm-hmm. but they were like, well, at this point, he probably crossed state lines to to get away. Mm-hmm. So now we can look for him. Okay. So they get involved. Sheriff Wormuth loved publicity. Mm-hmm. Loved it. So he wasn't all too keen about the FBI being involved in all of this. And when they found him in Canada, mm-hmm. so that was the other thing. When they found him in Canada, um, Corbett, like they knocked on his door. Corbett answered the door, saw that they were FBI, and he was like, I'm your guy. So, but he was also a fugitive. Oh. So, you know, like he could have just said, they've yeah. been looking for me for at least five years. Yeah. But he never made, like, clarified any of that. Mm-hmm. But that's what they said to him. They found his uh, ID and all that. They actually arrested him on his birthday. <laughs> the FBI guy that was arresting him was like, happy birthday. <laughs> his partner was like, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Just shaking his head at him like, no, no. <laughs> so they were keeping him there in Canada and basically trying to work out an extradition. Mm-hmm. Well, Canada won't extradite if you're planning on executing. Like if you're planning on putting oh. them up for death penalty, Canada won't won't extradite you. Hmm. Um, so there's that. The sheriff and the DA go to Canada to get him. Mm -hmm. But at this point, because J. Edgar Hoover also really loved the publicity, Uh had the FBI go get him and bring him back. So basically, the sheriff and the DA wasted a whole trip, went up to Canada. When they got there, their guy had already been taken by the FBI. Oh, my goodness. Which turned into a big media circus. Uh Uh-huh. Because... At this point, they lost a lot of support from the public because it was, it was ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> they wasted like so it. much taxpayer money to go up there, mm-hmm. and then for nothing. And he was all mad about that. So, following the 1961 trial, Sheriff Wormuth received criticism because many believed his hunger for media attention compromised the court's investigation. Worse, he was indicted by a grand jury for misappropriation of $3,673 in county funds <laughs> and resigned as sheriff on May 1st of 1962 in lieu of prosecution. It was also suggested that he allowed two prisoners to escape from jail in 1956 to receive notoriety upon their capture. Ooh. So one of the things that they had brought up was that... He took his wife to Canada when he was going up there to to bring this fugitive back. Why did you take your wife to Canada? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then you came back with your receipts and you want us to pay for your wife's trip to Canada. Right. And it also turns out that he paid two of his deputies overtime to go and paint their house with paint. That belonged to the county. Oh. Mm. <laughs> Come on, Sheriff. <laughs> yeah. Mr. and Mrs. Coors, the second 
Mr. Coors II, uh-huh. and Mrs. Coors, died in 1970 at the age of 86 and 85, respectively. According to one resource, Mary and her children were completely cut out of Mr. and Mrs. Coors' estates. They... He did some research, and it did, in fact, exclude as widow Mary. Bill, the second to oldest, he was married to Geraldine during this entire thing. Mm -hmm. They divorced in 1962. Bill married his secretary, Phyllis Mahaffey, in 1963, and they had one son. Huh. So... I'm like, oh, I see why you were so concerned to see if Ad had a secret woman somewhere. Right. But stop projecting there, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> One of Bill and Geraldine's three daughters, Geraldine, Missy, Coors, seriously, like, they just don't name their kids anything other than after themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but Missy, Coors committed suicide at the age of 40 by leaping naked from her 11th floor Manhattan apartment on East 23rd Street. Oh, my goodness. Leaving behind two children. Yeah. Bill and Phyllis Coors, his secretary, Mm -hmm. divorced in 1994. Bill married his third wife, Rita Bass, a year later. And though she died in 2015, at the time of print, Bill Coors is still living at the age of 100. Wow. Man. And what year was that? The This was just recently released, I think. Okay. Yes, it was released in October of wow. 2018. That's an accomplishment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's see. Joe Coors, which was the third son, he... Divorced his wife, Holly, after 48 years of marriage in 1988, and he married Anne Drottning months later. Hmm? Yep. He died in 2003 at the age of 85. The bridge where all of this happened, not really there anymore. They kind of built over that. Mm-hmm. But... What happened to everybody? So, did Mary stay? It was Mary, right? Oh, Mary. Yeah, we didn't talk about Mary. Yeah. Mary. Let's see if I. Did they have kids? They. Did you say two kids? Mary and the third had. So, they had four kids uh, Brooke, Cecily. Those were the two oldest, but they were girls, so they were insignificant to the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spike. Adolf Coors the fourth mm-hmm. was fourteen, uh, and James. James was the youngest. So Brooke was eighteen, Cicely was sixteen, Spike was fourteen, and James was ten when their father was kidnapped. Wow! So he had four kids. Um, Mary unfortunately became an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And let's see. She never married again. Um, so besides Anne dying at 44, Mary's mother died at the age of 50, her father at 59, and most tragically of all, Brooke, at the age of 26, died from lymphoma. Oh. Mm. Um, Mary died at the age of 60 on July 26 of 1975 from injury suffered 
falling down a sta- falling down some stairs at a friend's home in Aspen. Okay. Um, she is buried in a solitary setting under a large Douglas fir at the Fairmount Cemetery in Denver, besides her daughter Brooke. So, when the third was found, he was buried with his Coors family. Oh no, he was cremated, and they only found some bones. They found a skull, mm-hmm. top part of the skull, and the bottom part of his jaw, and a couple of femurs, and like they didn't find his whole body. Was that found during the trial or before the trial, or was it found it was years found, later? It was found. No, it was found seven months after he disappeared. Okay, and that's how they figured out what what had happened. Mm-hmm. But um, he was dumped in this dump. Oh, that's right. Uh-huh. And there were bears and oh. that would because it was just kind of an open dump yeah. site that you could just go to and people would go over there to like set up little shooting areas and shoot mm-hmm. stuff in the dump yeah hmm. so um he was cremated who took his remains mary she did okay uh-huh. yeah all right cremated him and then i believe he wanted his ashes like just sort of scattered in the mountains Okay. Yep. It makes you wonder what kind of um, relationship there was between his family and him or his wife and the family for them to so severely uh, do that. It, the book often talked about how Mary knew that the second didn't like her. Okay. She was very independent Mm-hmm. Again, she'd already come from a... She was independently wealthy. Right. So she didn't need them. Right. And she had a mind of her own and did what she wanted to do. Now, granted, whenever Ad was like, let's move to a ranch and so forth, she was like, okay. Yeah. Like, that's fine. I'm just thinking about her kids. And did they keep his na- the Coors name? I'm assuming so. I don't think they could make them change their last name. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, but yeah, Mary pretty much early on, once she was certain that Ad was dead, even before they found him, like, mm-hmm. there was just, she had lost, she knew, like, she kept some hope, mm-hmm. but, you know, seven months. Yeah. And not to be contacted by the kidnappers. So, but she knew that that's pretty much what they were going to do, that Spike wasn't old enough to take part in the company Mm -hmm. and so she was pretty sure that he was just gonna cut them out like she already knew who he was yeah and yeah he never really liked her because you know she was her own person Mm -hmm. and he was very old school in the way that he thought that you know mary's job was to be at home Mm -hmm. and pop out kids like yeah which is why none of his granddaughters were ever going to be a part of the company so what did bill do because obviously the company's still going, but mm-hmm. he's a hundred. He's not running it. So who's well, running they, it they now? They had sons. Um, okay. Bill had a son, so Phyllis gave him a son, and I think Joe had a couple of sons. Okay, but Bill had a bunch of girls. Oh, and so he needed a son. Yeah, so he could t- taken over. But by the time he was ready to retire, there had to been a son old enough to take over the, the company or else it would have gone to one of Joe's kids. So I just finished reading a book about Henry VIII. That sounds exactly like him. Yeah. 
And to to think of this being in this day and age, mm-hmm. that wasn't that long ago no, for them. No, the 60s. In America, even, yeah. to think that they would do that. Yeah. It's very fascinating. I'm wondering if Bill's son is Adolf Kors V. Could he have been? Well, he... I guess he could have. He I mean... Could, yeah, he could name he, his son whatever. Whatever he wants to. <laughs> In that lineage, I wonder if you could have two then that were named the same thing. Well, obvious. Well, never mind. Yeah. Going back to that. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can just recycle names all day long. Right. That's fun. But, yeah. Yeah, this family was nuts. Well, but they had to have done something right as far as business goes. Because, well, you know. But, yeah. I mean, yeah, personally in their yes. personal life is. Yep. Little nuts. Oh, so after the murder trial, the two brothers got super paranoid, obviously. Uh huh. Good reason. Their father always told them that if they were all flashy and stuff, they're going to get kidnapped, and then one of them actually gets kidnapped. Right. Let's see. So they went kind of nuts that. They became very paranoid. They began requiring applicants and existing employees to take a lie detector test to weed out undesirables. The tests were said to include questions such as, what is your sexual preference? Do you get along with your wife? Are you a subversive, revolutionary, or communist? (laughs) Do you have money in the bank? Have you ever smoked marijuana? Are you applying for a job with this company so you can do it or any of its employees harm? (laughs) Are you presently wanted by the authorities for a felony? Okay, so how illegal are all of those questions now? Oh my gosh. (laughs) So illegal. (laughs) Wow. I think the only one that you're legally allowed to ask is, are you presently wanted by the authorities for a felony? Yeah. (laughs) I think that's the only one that you, you can still... You can still ask. It's in your application. Are you a felon? Yes or no? (laughs) But it's not under a lie detector. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That is super illegal, too, I'm sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You want to work here? You have to take this lie detector test. Oh, my gosh. And it was like, Joseph Corbett wasn't an employee with the Coors. Yeah. Like, he he actually worked for Benjamin Moore making paint. (laughs) Thanks. That's what he did. Yeah. At some point, he did have a job. But yeah, they they were afraid that an employee would decide that they were going to do them harm. Well, it's probably, a, I would say, somewhat valid concern if your brother is kidnapped. But to do that is mm-hmm. kind of extreme. Mm-hmm. Because, like you said, it wasn't an employee, and it was just random out mm-hmm. on some country road. Mm-hmm. So did so they really he because he didn't confess. They we really don't know if he targeted him. Well, he told people that he worked with a couple of he made a couple of friends that were obviously also kind of shady people. Mm-hmm. Um, that he was planning a big score. Okay. So it does seem like this was all planned out. He was going to go kidnap Coors mm-hmm. the Third and send the ransom note. Because he, he wrote out that ransom note like the night before 
he set his plan into motion. Well, that's true. The ransom note too. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious what would have happened if they had kidnapped the second <laughs> instead of the third. Yeah. How I'm, would things have? I'm thinking out? the only person that would have done anything would would have been Ad. Would yeah. have been the third. Mm-hmm. The other <laughs> ones would have been. Oh great, we're in here. I was like, oh well, you know. Yeah. Let's just keep working. We're all about to be. We're all about to be extra rich. <laughs> yes. Okay, so there's one other question that I have. The car. He drove and he stopped in the middle of the bridge or, you know, because he couldn't mm-hmm. go by. Did they find his car? The the third? Yeah. Yes, they found his okay. car. So the male person uh-huh. couldn't drive past because his car was blocking the, oh. the bridge. So he honked a couple of times thinking maybe... They had to go relieve themselves or, you know, like, who knows? Mm-hmm. Doors are open. The engine's running. So, wow. you know, maybe he just had to step out for a second. Uh-huh. Uh, honks a couple of times, nothing. Honks a couple of times, nothing. So And he, he was shot there. Didn't they see blood there? Well, he was shot and it looked like... Um, where he had been shot was already off the bridge. Okay. And the gravel soaked it all up. Oh. So when they searched, they found a, like a little bit of blood. But mm-hmm. then when they actually like started to move the gravel, they realized that it was a lot of blood. Okay. And so it didn't look like a big murder scene until you mm-hmm. actually started digging. They actually tore that bridge up. Really? To try to get to all the blood. Wow. Yeah. And okay. that's pretty much when... They were like, there's no way he survived that. Yeah. But still, like, if he got medical attention right away, because you don't know who kidnapped him. Mm-hmm. Maybe they know how to patch him up or something and yeah. keep him from bleeding to death. Yeah. Um, but the police at that point were like, we're pretty sure he was he's dead. Mm-hmm. But they weren't going to tell the, the Coors family that. Right. <laughs> They're just going to not do that. So the male guy moves the car. Oh. Like, he gets into it and moves it because he's got mail to deliver. Well. <laughs> he's got a job to do, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not like he had a cell phone he could call for That's help. That's right. So, <laughs> but, but he did, like, at the next house to it, he went to go deliver mail to. Uh-huh. He used their telephone to call the police and say, hey, there was a car, there was a car on the bridge. It was, doors were open. Car was running. There was nobody there. I honked and. Uh-huh. No one came. I moved it, but, you know, I'm just letting you know what I saw because it was weird. Yeah. And so the police immediately went to go look and found out who it was mm-hmm. and all that. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't like he was like, you know, I'm just going to move this car and go about my business. Yeah. Like, he did the right thing. He uh-huh. went to the next house and was like, hey, I need to use your phone. I just saw something weird. Yeah. So, Yeah. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this Joseph Corbett character, man, I was like, that is, that's amazing. Like, genius level IQ was, you know, on a fast track to getting himself a degree. And, but it's just like, but you decide to commit murder instead. Mm-hmm. And then after you escape prison, you're like, I don't really want to be doing this, like, job that I'm doing. I would rather just go kidnap someone yeah. rich. And then they can <laughs> give me money, and I'm just going to get away with and it. And I'm just going to leave the country, and they'll never find me. 
says that they found you in Canada. It's all fascinating. Okay, so mine was about a big family also. Yeah. Um, have y'all heard of the Ted Binion case? No? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. So he was uh, from like the Binion Horseshoe Casino in Vegas. Oh. Yeah, so he was a manager of it. I'm not sure exactly how his family was involved with it, you know, as far as ownership. The name was in it. Mm-hmm. They had to have done, you know, yeah. been involved. Um, but it said in the information that I read that he was uh, managing the uh, the casino. So he was the one who is murdered in 1998. Um, so the connection to my hometown is this gentleman called Rick Tabish. <clears throat> and there's a company that was in my hometown called Tabish Brothers. And it's, you know, I'm a kid. It's just advertising. It's mm-hmm. one of those things that you just remember. That's, yeah. what did they do? I don't know. I had to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there are several businesses in a small mm-hmm. town that you you remember because of the advertising and the name and, mm-hmm. you know, um so, he is from a, a fairly wealthy family in my hometown in Montana, Missoula. And um, come to find out, I guess, he was involved with some shady things. Uh, the, the business in Missoula was um, 1966 when it was established. So, it's been around since 50, about 53 years, I think it said. Um, but this... Rick Tabish was in trouble for assault and for art theft for this art that was over $600,000. And um, he was involved in the cocaine trade. (laughs) He was 23 years old. And uh, so he was facing, or maybe I think he actually spent three years in prison for shipping a quarter pound of Coke from Arizona to Missoula via FedEx. (laughs) (laughs) cross state lines man you just (laughs) bring on your own trouble (laughs) so he's married to a lady her name is um, mary joe and they have two children and somehow he gets involved with going to vegas you know i think there were probably some cheap flights to vegas i don't know and he um befriends Ted Binion and Ted has a girlfriend and her name is Sandy. Well, Sandy and Rick hook up. Oh, mm-hmm. the stories. <laughs> anyway, um, some history on Ted. When he died, he was 55 years old and uh, he was found murdered. Sandy found him and it was in his 6,700 square foot house. Oof. Right. How old was Sandy? Um, I feel like she was way younger than him. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, because he um, he liked the dancers in Vegas, and so she. Well, I mean, who had, doesn't? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> she had been a dancer, and um, he had ties to the mob, and he was big into drugs. But he also had political connections. Um, he dealt in bricks of cash. Oh. 
Yes. And he had... Go ahead. Bricks of cash? Uh That's what it says. Bricks of cash. Bricks. Like stacks? No, no, no. Like you take a stack, you put it next to a stack, you put it next to a stack, then you wrap it up. Uh And then it's a brick. Yeah. Yes. Don't ask me how much money is in a brick. I don't know. Who will tell us? Okay. That was some information I had not thought of. He was actually a mathematical genius uh, from the information I read. And it said that he could calculate the odds in his head, like off the top of his head. Man, what is it with like super smart people just being like, you know what? Right. I don't actually want to do anything with my intelligence. (laughs) I just want to commit crimes. Yes. (laughs) Um, He was very good at um, noticing people who were cheating. And who um, were suckers. <laughs> and I just, the first thought that went through my head, I made a note, it takes one to know one. <laughs> I'm sure he cheated um, quite a few people. Mm-hmm. So um, so he had his, his own history. I mean, ties to the mob, and he's a drug addict and all that stuff. So he turns up dead. And they think that it was a an overdose. Um, they said heroin and Xanax hmm. is what the overdose was. Yes. So brick of cash. Uh-huh. If you're making this brick out of one dollar bills, which why on earth would you do that? <laughs> it would equal to a thousand dollars. If you're making this brick out of a hundred dollar bills, it's a hundred thousand so. dollars. So if it were twenties, you know. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. More than likely it was probably hundreds. Mm-hmm. Wow! So each break is a hundred thousand dollars. That's a lot of cash. <laughs> Thank you, Google. <laughs> Way too much cash for me. Okay, Ted Binion had his gambling license revoked or his gaming license because of his ties to the underworld. <laughs> That's the way they stated it. That's awesome. The underworld. Of course, that's probably what it is. Yes. Um, so two days after the murder, Rick Tabish is arrested because him and another buddy or something are caught digging up Binion's hidden vault that only Rick and Binion had keys to. That's how good of friends they were. Wow. Hmm. Keep in mind, Rick came from a well-to-do family already. You know? Okay, so anyway, um, he's digging this up, and he was in possession of 48,000 pounds of silver from from Binion's underground vault. Wow. Hmm. (laughs) How do you carry 48,000 pounds? That's a good question. (laughs) Because it's not like gold. It's not like, you know, it weighs... It's like super dense. There had to be a, a lot of volume. Yes. Well. Yeah. And then, I mean, just thinking about that rolling down the road, 48,000 pounds. That's a lot of, anyway, a lot of silver. Mm-hmm. Um, I like how he did all his business dealings with brick of cash, but he buried his silver. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he might have buried some cash in there, too. But... Tabish didn't take the cash. He took the silver. <laughs> well, <laughs> don't ask. So Rick Tabish is arrested and he is given bail. 
And who bails him out? But Sandy. What? Sandy. Um, Come to find out, Ted found out about their affair. Mm -hmm. All this went down. He was supposed to have called and told his lawyer. He wanted to take Sandy out of his will. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, And he told the lawyer... And this is the day before he was murdered. That if I'm dead tomorrow, you'll know what happened. <laughs> Take her out of the will tonight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then he turns up dead. I mean, and okay. I, anyway. Okay, so the Binion family hires a private investigator. Mm-hmm. And he ends up being the one who runs the show. He gives, gets, collects all the information and gives it to the DA and all that stuff. Wow. Right? Um, and so Sandy and, um, okay, so the coroner says that it's now a homicide. It's not an overdose. And it's mainly based on the PI's um, information. Mm-hmm. All right. June 24th, 1999. They're taken into custody. They are charged with robbery, grand larceny, conspiracy, burglary, and murder. Wow. Okay. The police aren't interested. (laughs) Well, obviously not. The (laughs) private investigator did all the work. Right. (laughs) But they're thinking, okay, Binion is a drug addict anyway Mm -hmm. they're not surprised that he overdosed and so they're really not looking into it at all Mm um but then uh you know it ends up going to trial they get the information you know all the the um details and all that but it's still circumstantial because Mm -hmm. they have to prove that there was a homicide and they really haven't been able to do that at this mm-hmm. point and they have to prove who did it <clears throat> and so the prosecutors hired um a doctor his name was dr badden and he felt that the guy did not overdose that he had these uh, small markings on his body that were consistent with um, being suffocated mm. and there was hemorrhaging in the eyes that was one of the things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there were rashes around the mouth. And so they called this form of suffocation buffeting. And it's really hard to prove because it doesn't leave very many marks. Mm-hmm. There's very little evidence of it. Um, so the, they were convicted of murder. So Murphy, Sandy, got 22 years to life. And Tabish got 25 years to life. The Nevada Supreme Court overturned it. (laughs) (laughs) And they were granted a new trial. So three years later about is when they they got their new trial. And they were acquitted of the murder. But they still had their other Grand larceny, robbery, and all that. Yes, I think they said his was extortion and hers was grand larceny. Mm -hmm. And um, she got out before he did, but then he was put up for parole in 2010, I think it was. And he was able to 
because he had a plan, um, and there were like three different things that he had to make sure for the parole board that mm-hmm. he'd followed all this stuff. Mm-hmm. They went ahead and gave him parole. And I, I believe, like I said, that was in 2010. Um, so right now, Murphy, Sandy, uh, is living in Laguna Beach, California. And she's a part owner with her husband. Mm. Watch out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in an art gallery. <laughs> you better bury some silver, dude. <laughs> right. Watch out. In an art gallery? Sleep with one eye open. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, an art gallery. Hmm. Which is interesting because Tabish mm-hmm. stole the art. Mm-hmm. Um, he is living back in Missoula. And... The business is still going. His um, dad is still the president, and it's a petroleum company. Hmm. And yeah, so it's interesting. My dad tells me about all these things that go on. It's <laughs> <laughs> fascinating. What happened? Yeah. So he served ten years, and when he was, uh, his sentence were two consecutive sentences. One to five years. So if he served 10 years, he basically served the full term mm-hmm. of that. He really didn't get paroled, even yeah. though it said he was paroled. So he had been married to Mary Jo, his um, his wife. I don't know how long they were married. But after the first conviction of murder, uh, she divorced him. And she wanted to get the kids' names changed to her maiden name which completely makes sense and you would think that he would want that too but no no he has to throw a fit about that Mm -hmm. and um but she won and (laughs) i don't believe i mean 2010 i guess that was still nine years ago yeah quite a quite a while ago uh so i don't know if he was he's been remarried one of the articles i was reading was um 2018 so there have been like six books at least, that have been written about this topic. Wow. Right? (laughs) Yeah. And uh, of course, you only got one. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And movies and TV shows. Wow. Yeah. It was a very big deal. And of course, you know, my dad being living up there, it was, Uh I'm sure, big in the newspapers up there. Oh, yeah. With that connection. And then in Vegas. But they said that it was, you know, national news and... Mm -hmm. And all that. But they really still don't know what happened. If they didn't kill him, who did? And did he really overdose? Nobody knows. Yeah. So, hmm. even though he had a lot of money, we still don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he was not a good guy for people to stand up to him, or stand up for him, I guess. Yeah. I would say. Mm-hmm. So Except for his family, who hired... Yeah, to well, go do the go do the work. That's true. <laughs> That's true. But but uh, your family, and he at least had a family that was willing to to be like, I don't care who he is. Yeah, I want justice. Yeah, instead of being like, oh, whatever, another work day. <laughs> really, I think what they wanted is their name protected, <laughs> so they could keep making money. I do not know if the Horseshoe Casino is still owned by them or not. Mm. I went to Vegas once, twice, <laughs> but I honestly don't remember. <laughs> so hmm. interesting. Wow. It is interesting. It's interesting that a small town 
mm-hmm. person, what I consider small town, is uh, got involved with such a big, yeah, funky thing. Yeah, people in the mob. <laughs> that like six degrees of kevin bacon kind of yeah (laughs) (laughs) so i'm just like what else was he was he burying in his yard (laughs) (laughs) well and if if he hadn't been caught tabish getting the digging up the cash or doing whatever he was out of that vault you know they might have gotten away with it Uh uh-huh so there was one thing I was watching about it, a, a short little video, and it said, uh, one of the prosecutors said that when they, when that Dr. Baden mentioned this, th- he had been suffocated, they kind of had this look on their face like, mm-hmm. crap, they found out, they were able to figure mm-hmm. it out. And um, at the end, when they were convicted, they... Um, Tabish tried to reach over and touch her uh, arm, like for comfort, and mm-hmm. she just like pushed his hand away. And he goes, "I just read that to be, you know, you you said we were going to get away with this, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it didn't happen." So, hmm. but his wife stuck with him through the murder thing, through the trial. Yeah, and then, I don't want to say she stuck with him, but she didn't file for divorce. She was mm-hmm. given a divorce, like, within two months after he was, he was convicted. convicted. Yeah. Um, he was obviously cheating on her. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> even for that, why would you want to stay with him? Yeah. You know? But that seems to be a theme in some of our things, too, is that... <laughs> Somebody's cheating on somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ridiculous. Hmm. So anyway, I'm sure there's a lot of details I've left out. <laughs> so you can go read one of those six books that have been published about this. Mm-hmm. Watch one of those movies. Yes. It'd be fascinating. <laughs> and maybe that's what we need to do for one of ours. We'll watch one of the movies. Yeah, <laughs> we could e- if there's more than one, we could each watch something different, and then, <laughs> and then we, we come back and be like, this "Compare is what we have. Oh yeah, that would be a different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just all read or watch a different one, and yeah, see what it's mm-hmm. what the deal is. See which so. one of us gets the one where they're being all like sympathetic toward the killer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so there's always one. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> now. I went into our collection the other day and I was looking through, you know, the books to pick our next one. Mm-hmm. And I've just been noticing a theme that a lot of these books were published in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Mm. And a lot of these murders happened in the 80s, you know, around there. And I'm thinking, what happened in the 80s? <laughs> <laughs> Why were so many books published? Was there a. a I mean, why was it just more popular all of a sudden? I don't want to say all of a sudden because I don't. I, know I think it's always books. been popular. Yeah, like, since Truman Capote mm-hmm. came around, I think yeah. it's always been popular. Maybe those are just the ones we have, though. 
<laughs> well, yeah, and then I'm thinking, who was the person in charge of library collections at that time? At that time, mm-hmm. I guess maybe they were fascinated yeah, in that topic a bunch too. of these. <laughs> because we are now starting to get a lot more, right? Because we started this podcast. Yes, <laughs> we need new stuff. So, yeah. All right. So, I mean, that's that's mine in a nutshell. Yeah. You got anything to say? I don't know. I want to say something snarky about Coors and beer. Uh-huh. How? We don't have to be allergic to not drink Coors? Well, yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. You don't, you don't need an al- a beer allergy to, to, not to know. <laughs> well, and based on the Super Bowl commercial, they use corn syrup when they make their beer. Oh, because everybody wants that in their beer. Nobody wants corn syrup at all. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, and you said the family was cold, and I was like, I remember Coors's thing was like tap the yes. Rockies, and like they had the yeah, cans that cold. changed color because they were cold. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm like, you don't need the Rockies because this family is the cold. <laughs> yes. Also, what is malted milk? It's different, like a malted milkshake. Yes. And malted milk, it's a different kind of a chocolatey flavoring, isn't it? But you can also have like vanilla malted oh. milk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because during Prohibition time, mm-hmm. when the Coors could not do their beer thing, they made malted milk. Well, like a malted milk ball. That yeah. So That's also when they started doing their porcelain stuff, too. A malt, yeah. Malt, malted milk. So they probably could use some of the same... Uh-huh. facilities or ingredients or whatever that they had for beer to make the the malted milk. Because don't they use malt in some beer making then? I don't know exactly what malt is. Oh, so apparently, was it Bill? Yeah, Bill was the second born, and he had gained international notoriety for perfecting the aluminum can. Hmm. Well, there's that. Yep. And then that's where all the soda and beer cans became aluminum. Hmm. Instead of steel. They also started the first pay-a-penny deposit in order to recycle aluminum cans. Hmm. Okay. And he substituted cold filtering for hot pasteurization, preserving the fresh taste of beer. So... Oh. They did a lot of good things they that, did some good. That, that helped make better beer out yes. there. <laughs> All right, let me just say this does not sound very appetizing. Malted milk is a powdered gruel <laughs> made from a mixture of malted barley, wheat flour, and evaporated whole milk. And malted barley, isn't that barley that's just started to... To germinate or something like that. I seem to recall something like that. <laughs> Barley or other grain that has been steeped, germinated, and dried, used for brewing or distilling and vinegar making. <laughs> so convert grain into malt. All right. All right. Well, that's how they survived the Prohibition era. There. That's what I thought. Yep. If you can't make beer, then make malted milk. Yep. And words of words of wisdom from Do We Like Murder, and we will catch you next time. <laughs>